place for celebrating the Lord. So that's what we were here doing yesterday. If you have your Bibles this morning, I'm going to invite you to turn to Luke chapter 15. We're completing our series today, A City on a Hill. Uh, we'll be heading in a, another direction next week, but we want to bring one more message, and I want to thank Pastor CJ and Pastor Otto. Uh, Pastor CJ preached a wonderful message to us last week. Pastor Otto and Pastor CJ and I envisioned this series together, and, uh, and we're going to be wrapping it up today. In just a moment, I'm going to take you back to two of the key scriptures from the last two weeks, and then we'll hit Luke chapter 15. Uh, years ago, I attended youth group at this very church, and one of the things that our youth pastor was very big on was the concept of personal evangelism, meaning that you need to get out there, you need to get into your schools, you need to get into, into your, your friends, and you need to share the gospel with them. You know, tell them about Jesus. And so we'd come here every week, and my youth pastor would preach about that message, about uh, sharing the gospel and telling people about Jesus just about every week. And he was preaching and preaching and preaching until we, we eventually got it. So I was a freshman in high school, and I'd heard this message for like a year. He'd been there for like a year preaching the same message every single week about sharing the gospel with your friends, and I thought, I'm ready. I am prepared to share the gospel and he had said, you know, all you need is just wait for an opportunity. There's going to be an opportunity for you to share with somebody about Jesus. And I thought, I know, I'm ready. And so I remember I got out of practice one afternoon, and uh, an upperclassman was giving me a ride home because it was late. And, uh, and he looked over at me, and he said something effective. So I, I hear you go to a church. What's that all about? I was like, bingo. This is that moment. God ordained. This is the moment. I could feel the fresh wind of the Holy Spirit moving through that car. I was ready, right? So that was the moment, and I just launched in. Yeah, I go to church. I go to church because I love Jesus, because Jesus changed my life, and I just started going into it. And I, I went down the Romans Road. How many of you know the Romans Road, right? The Romans Road is the five scriptures that if you say them to somebody without them leaving, they will absolutely give their life to Jesus by the time you're done, Right? So I take this guy down the Romans Road, and from 4th Street to 16th Street, the gospel was shared in full effect. And so we pulled into my house on 16th Street in the falls, and we pull up, and I'm done with my spiel, and I just said, what do you think about all that? And he looked at me, he goes, wow, Matt, that was powerful. See ya. And that was it. He looked at me like I was an alien. I mean, he had that look on his face like I will never give an underclassman a ride home again because that might happen, right? I, and I have to tell you, uh, things were weird between me and that guy <laughs> from that day forward. And I, I, I came into my mind as I was getting ready for this week because we talked last week about our light being too bright, you know, not being real careful in the way that we venture from the hilltop and, and share about Jesus, not really looking into the lives, the eyes, the heart of the person who we're trying to share with. But the problem with so many of us evangelical Christians and evangelical and evangelism come from the same root Greek word, the idea that we want to share the good news about Jesus with people, and, and that's part of who we are. The problem with so many of us is we've had so many of those experiences where we've got really amped up and really excited to venture out from the church and see the world as our mission field and want to share with people about how good Jesus is because he is. Jesus is good. Jesus is a savior. Jesus is life and hope and joy and peace. We believe those things, but to try to communicate to that to somebody with very little context to what we're talking about has been tough. 
And eventually, so many of us, we've had those experiences where we're a little bit embarrassed at the way in which our evangelism has gone, and we begin to sort of recede back up the hilltop, back up to the place where all those other Christians are, back up to the safe confines of that city on a hill, and we don't want to venture down the hill ever again because we might look stupid, we might feel weird, we might offend somebody, uh, we're a little bit afraid to go out and after What we've been talking about these past five weeks now is this, that that insecurity and that fear and that concern need not be there because, as Pastor CJ brought to us at the very end of the sermon last week, whose light do we really want people to see? We want them to see our light or do we want them to see the true source of light? Jesus Christ. Something changes, something turns, something happens in the human spirit when it is our desire to share the gospel so that people might see Christ rather than to share the gospel so they might see something in us that's palatable. I want to take you back to Matthew chapter 9, 36 through 38 because it's where I left you two weeks ago as we talked about the way that we are to see the world. Tina, would you take us to that scripture? This is from the NRSV, the New Revised Standard Version. When Jesus saw the crowds, this is how he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Because they were harassed and they were helpless, they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest field. And so Jesus, in this passage, is giving us a picture of what heaven saw when he looked at humans. Pastor Otto just put it so beautifully that, that, that heaven cares passionately and loves human beings. And they see us in the lost state that we're in and think that we're harassed and helpless in need of a shepherd. Pastor CJ last week took us one step further. Once again, you stay in Luke 15. We're going to get there. It's going to be our key passage. I'm just setting the stage here this morning. In Mark chapter 2, 16 and 17, and he read out of the message. Later, Jesus and his disciples were at home having supper with a collection of disreputable guests. I like that, disreputable. And likely as it seems, some of you are disreputable, more than a few of them had become followers. So the religion scholars and the Pharisees saw him keeping this kind of company, and he lit into this disi- his disciples. What kind of example is this acting cozy with the riffraff? Jesus overhearing shot back, who needs a doctor? The healthier the sick. I'm here inviting the sin sick, not the spiritually fit. This is the viewpoint that we've been sharing these last two weeks that are the precursor to what we're going to talk about today. We as those who have found the light, we as those who have found Jesus, we as those who know what it means to have the Spirit of God poured out upon our lives and everything change, have to have the right perspective as we look from the hilltop. We have to be able to see those living in darkness with the right lenses on. And the lens of heaven is that. Compassion for the harassed and the helpless and the lost, regardless of whether they're belligerent sheep Silly sheep, weird sheep, or normal sheep. And also the concept that our priorities are found not in the hilltop folks, but our priorities are found in those who still are dealing, these sheep who are still dealing with the spiritual illness that ails them.
That's where the priority is. I'd like to take you to one last story as we talk about living from this hilltop, living from this place of having found the light. It's in Luke chapter 15, verse 1 and following. You're going to see a lot of the same themes from last week. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near to listen to him, him being Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes, they were grumbling and they were saying, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. Now which of you having a hundred sheep and losing one of them does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors and he says to them, rejoice with me. I found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons, I'm going to add my own paraphrase, smug in their need for no repentance. All right? Now you say, did Jesus intend smug? I have no idea. That's why I said my paraphrase. But it seems to be that that's what he's conveying, talking to the Pharisees who are very convinced of who they are and where they stand with God. Now, for those of you who might not have been around church for a long time, we got three different groups of people here that we need to sort of parse out before we can understand this story. The first are the tax collectors. Pastor CJ explained this well last week. The tax collectors were folks who lived in Israel who were native Jews who then had worked for the Roman government in order to tax the people in Israel. They were traders, but not only that, the way you earned your living as a tax collector was to take more than what was required. So you took commission on the taxes and you set the rate. Tax collectors became rich and tax collectors became despised. Now sinners could have re- that the, the Pharisees were mad about could have referred to any number of people. It could have been people who just decided that they were just not going to live anywhere close to what the Old Testament was saying. And that's probably where we're at. Folks who looked at the law and looked at the Bible of the time and went, not for me. I'm not going to do any of that stuff that these other Jews are doing, okay? Not interested. I'm going to live my life. I'm going to enjoy my life, and I'm not going to have my life ruined by some book and the rules therein. So these were the people that were being objected to. Now, the Pharisees were the ones who had that Old Testament, and they also had, in addition to the Old Testament, what was called the oral tradition. The Old Testament had laws and rules and regulations for the people of God to live by, But over the course of time, the Jewish people developed an oral tradition as well, and there are, I believe, 619 laws that were incumbent upon a good Jew to follow, and the Pharisees were the ones who wanted to make sure that everybody in the town was following those laws. You would have enjoyed the Pharisees, wouldn't you have, right? So they're they're staunch, but the truth is the Pharisees were a pretty popular party. People appreciated their zeal for God in the most part. So the Pharisees are upset with Jesus. Jesus, how dare you take time to sit down with these folks and eat with them? They're, as Pastor CJ talked about last week, they're the riffraff. They're the troublemakers. They're, they're going to upset the apple cart of what we're trying to do here in pure religion and pure righteousness. I want to make some observations before we get into this parable that Jesus tells them. The first is this. Jesus was magnetic. He, he, he has, has, not just had, has a magnetism that draws people. People want to hear what Jesus has to say. Even if they're ones who really don't care about 
the Bible of the time, even if they're ones that really don't like the religious folks, the Pharisees, they're interested in hearing what Jesus has to say. Because there's something magnetic about Jesus. And we've made the point over the past few weeks that the magnetism of Jesus is really the true light. We're reflecting Jesus. That's the role that we have as Christians, is to merely reflect the light that God has poured into our lives through his Son. People are going to be drawn to the Savior of the world. If our desire is that they be drawn to our magnetism, we have missed it already. We've missed it already. We can be winsome. We can be happy. We can be joyful. We can make sure we don't smell. These are good things that people would want to come near to us. These are important things. But at the end of the day, if the city on the hill is to continue to grow and the light of God is going to continue to shine into people's light, Jesus must be the magnetic center of that city. The very, the very heartbeat of what we do. Because when we are the center of the magnetism, we find out that we can be very polarizing rather than magnetic. There is nothing so polarizing as a staunch Christian who doesn't have Jesus at the center of their life. They can be very repulsive, in fact. For us to be like Jesus and want to be the people that share the light, we must realize that Jesus is that magnetic source. Second observation I want to make is that Pharisees always are concerned that the integrity of the church will be compromised by the riffraff. Now, take that in for a minute. Pharisees are always concerned about the integrity of the church being compromised by the riffraff. What would happen if all of those folks began to hang out with us? People might think that we're not righteous anymore. Isn't that the issue that the Pharisees are having with Jesus? Jesus must not be righteous because of who he's hanging with. And he says that he's a teacher of the law. He says that he's someone who's been, who's been close to God. He's doing these miracles that we cannot deny. But Jesus, no. No. The integrity of this whole Jewish thing is being ruined by who you're hanging out with. Now, Jesus was a law-abiding Jewish citizen. He went to the festivals when they had them. He, he was someone who kept the law. And here in the midst of all this, Jesus is doing something that the religious folks find highly repulsive, highly angering. He's hanging out with these sin-sick people. That's a problem. Pharisees are always concerned that the integrity of the church will be compromised by the riffraff. Jesus was not concerned about this. In fact, Jesus gave us a lot of clues about what his church was going to look like at the end of time. Yes, he said that it was going to be a beautiful and glorious and spotless bride for him. But Jesus also said at the end of time, right in the middle of the wheat field, there'd be weeds. Going to be weeds in the wheat field. We're not, if we're doing the job that we're supposed to be doing, we're not going to have a perfect, spotless, blemishless attendance role within the community. There's going to be folks on every stage of their journey. And there's going to be folks who come in and they are not producing any good fruit. They are a weed in the middle of the field. Jesus was having dinner with the weeds. The Pharisees didn't like it. Why was he having dinner with the weeds? Because at the end of the day, Jesus was hoping that that weed would be uprooted and that fresh grain would be planted and that fruit 
would come forth from their lives. Jesus wasn't concerned about compromising the integrity of the church by welcoming the riffraff. And three, Jesus treats the spiritually sick as full friends prior to their conversion. Isn't that interesting? As full friends, they find acceptance with him. In the ancient world, the way you knew that you were in with somebody is if you had dinner with them. That, that's historically true. That was just the way it was. If you have dinner with somebody, you're in with them. If you hadn't had dinner with them yet, you just didn't know where you stood with them. Jesus is full friends with these people. Jesus has this encounter with the Pharisees. He knows the Pharisees are upset, so he takes this teaching moment. He says, Pharisees, I want to talk to you. I want to tell you something. And he spends the whole rest of the chapter telling them stories. Three stories, three of the most famous stories in the Bible to try to change their mindset. But the first, I think, is most instructive for us today. Now, I've heard it said many times throughout my Bible study and seminary days, the best way for church people to read the Bible is as if we are who in this story? Have I taught you nothing? The Pharisees. You're like, oh, yeah, I think he said that, uh, August of 15. Yes, the Pharisees. We're the church people. We're the ones on the inside. We're, the, we're, we're in the city. So the best way to read this, if we are to gain the most from it, is to read it as if we're the ones Jesus is addressing. So Jesus tells this story. The first thing he says is he turns it on him. He says, listen, what if you were a shepherd? Jesus saw himself as a shepherd. He called himself the good shepherd. Throughout the Old Testament, in the books of Isaiah, the books of Ezekiel, the books of Zechariah, the books of Jeremiah, God calls himself a shepherd, Psalms as well. Jesus says, I'm a shepherd, you guys are too. So imagine you're a shepherd, and you lose a sheep from your flock. What do you do? What do you do? Well, what the Pharisees were doing in this moment, if you're going to make an observation between who Jesus was and who they were, they were looking at that lost sheep and going, can't believe he got lost. What a jerk for getting himself lost. Boy, he shouldn't have got lost. Daddy's lost. Guess he'll probably die out there. That's what the Pharisees were doing with these tax collectors and these spiritually sick folks. They're lost. They're out there. What does Jesus say? No, hold on. What if, what if these sheep had real value to you? What if it was something valuable? And so what he does in chapter 15 is, is he uses the analogy of the shepherd because sheep would be the most valuable thing to a shepherd. And then he uses the story of a widow because a widow who doesn't have in that time of, in history and sometimes, or many times even today, doesn't have financial security, a lost coin. And then the far, third story he tells about is a lost son. He tries to find things of tremendous value and he places a high value on these tax collectors and these sinners in the minds of the Pharisees. He says, what if you were a shepherd and you lost a sheep? What would you do? A shepherd goes after the sheep. That's what a shepherd does, Pharisees. That's what I am doing here in this moment. I don't condemn the sheep for getting lost. I just go find the sheep because it's valuable to me. And then Jesus does a third thing here. He tells the story. He tells about finding the sheep. And then what does he say? He finds the sheep, puts it on his shoulders, walks back home just so we can have a picture in the fours and fives classroom of Jesus carrying a sheep. You know what I'm talking about. It's a beautiful picture, right? Jesus loved pictures. But 
What does he do? He says it's time to rejoice. And then he has the teaching moment. He says, I want you Pharisees to get something. There is more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents and turns towards God than all the people sitting up the hill patting themselves on the back for finding God and knowing what's right and having the knowledge base. More rejoicing in heaven. More for that one person who gets pulled out of that lost state brought to salvation. See, this is the, this is the comparison here. This is the comparison that he's drawing for them. He's saying, this is my mission. This is what I'm doing here. I'm here finding, seeking, and saving that which was lost. See, this is the lens through which we should be seeing from the hilltop. We should be seeing the lost people of the world as valuable, as the most precious commodity in our lives. That's why in chapter 15 of Luke, in response to these Pharisees, Jesus uses the analogy of the sheep, the coin, and the son, because lost people are the most precious, valuable thing to those living on the hilltop. It certainly was to heaven. Jesus said, I came, I came to seek, the Son of Man came to seek and save. That which was lost. Why he stepped down out of heaven. Philippians chapter 2, which Pastor Otto read for us last week, said that Jesus, though he was in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing in being found in human form and in human likeness and taking on the, the, the form of a servant, made himself humble to death, even death on a cross. Jesus left the ultimate hilltop in order to venture out to find the lost sheep. It's who Jesus was. It was in his DNA. Therefore, if we reflect the light of heaven, folks, we must be what Jesus was calling the Pharisees to be in that moment. We must be people who venture from the hilltop in order to find that which is precious to God. That's part of what it means to reflect the light. Not just to stand up on the hilltop and turn on some more lamps and light some more candles and turn on the floods and say, come up here, it's glorious. We'd like you to join us here in the joy and the peace and the life that happens when you know God. And the truth is many of you have found your way into this church or another church that way. Somehow you were drawn towards the light the precious commodity that we must be after as the people of God is those who can't see the light for whatever reason are not drawn find themselves lost harassed helpless like sheep without a shepherd so how do we venture from the hill the first thing we must do if we're to take a point uh, directly from this passage today is to put down our gavel and to take up our shepherd's staff we must not condemn those lost to death because our pride or our fear keeps us from seeking them. Don't condemn people to death for our hang-ups. Don't condemn anybody to death because of your hang-up. The Pharisees had hang-ups. They had what, what we often talk about in the office since Pastor Otto came on staff, a, a fixed mindset. 
but you can't do things differently and you can't grow and you can't do it any better. They looked at these tax collectors and these sinners and they thought there's no hope for them. I'll never reach them. I've already tried. I'm not going to cast my pearls before swine. I'm not going to get out there. It didn't go well the last time. I believe that the Pharisees engaged in evangelism. It's clear from the scriptures that the Pharisees engaged in evangelism. And I think their evangelism probably went something like this. You're a sinner. Stop it. Stop. You are a sinner. God is angry at you because you are sinning. Get to synagogue. Thanks. No? Well, Pharisee evangelism. That's what the Pharisees were doing. They were calling people sinners, ostracizing those who didn't believe like they believed, and seeing them as having no value. In fact, what did they see these people as having negative value? They saw the lost as having negative value. How does Jesus see them? As having supreme value. A sheep for a shepherd, supreme value. A coin for for a widow, supreme value. A son to a father, supreme value. That's how Jesus sees the lost. We, in the same way, can be infected by this fatalistic attitude towards the lost people in our lives because things didn't go so well last time. And these hang-ups of pride and fear and anxiety, and all sound stupid, worry us so much so that we never say anything and we never do anything. Because the, the pattern goes like this. Discouragement from a previous failure leads to a fatalistic mindset which keeps us from leaving the hill. It would be a lot easier if they just somehow made their way to church one day and Pastor Matt was preaching a gospel message. That would be awesome. Because Lord knows that I look so foolish, feel so foolish, and life is over when I try to share about church or God or Jesus and then somebody looks at me weird. Not only that, but we as Christians can go a little bit further than our hang-ups and step into that judgmentalism and pride. Some of us very easily can look at lost people and go, it's their own fault. Their own fault for getting lost. They just won't give up that sin. They just won't get over that hang-up. There's been people who've tried to help them, and they won't accept any help. They are a lost cause. Court adjourned. Not who Jesus is. Let's take up that shepherd's staff. Venture down the hill. Go find those people. A couple of years ago when I was still ministering to young adults, I had a gentleman who came in uh, to FM, what we called it at the time, and he, uh, his friends had wanted him to come for quite some time, and he hadn't come. He really had some hardness in his heart against God, and they finally got him there one night. Now, when you know that story as a pastor, there is so much pressure on you to preach a good message, but that's a different thing for another day. So I, I thought, you know what, I'm going to go up to this guy. I know he's got some hardness in his heart, and I am going to just try to connect with him tonight because if he connects with me and a couple of other of these young adults, he's going to see the Christians aren't scary. Maybe he'll see that God loves him. Maybe he'll come back, and maybe he'll give his life to the Lord, and, and this darkness and gloom in his life will be lifted. You know, I wasn't thinking all of that, but that's the general premise. So anyhow, I go up to him. I says, hey, how you doing? Welcome to FM. He says, 
I said, I'm so glad you're here tonight. He said, thanks. I said, I've heard a lot about you from the friends that brought you. I'm so glad you finally made it out. I'd like to know more about you. Like, uh, are you going to school? Nope. Oh, okay. Well, Well, where are you working? Nowhere. I said, oh, 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 that's that's cool. I said, so, I said, what are you into? You, you into sports? Nope. I said, so, uh, video games? Nope. I said, are you into reading? Are you a reader? Nope. I am not. A, this, you know, you know. Sometimes storytellers make it a little bit bigger than it really is. This is exactly. This is it. I, I said, I said, well, I'm really glad you came tonight. <laughs> I mean, I talk to people for a living, you know. <laughs> I could get nothing out of this fella. I was horrified. Needless to say, he didn't come back the next week. Anyhow, a couple weeks later, we have this event. We have this event, and there's, oh, probably about 30, 35 young adults there, and there was 20 or 25 youth kids there. And we had a room that was off to the side, and there was some pizza in that room. And so I had been playing basketball, and I'd been hanging out with people. And so I walked up to the room where the pizza was at, and I walked in. And there he was. Sitting there eating a slice of pizza. And I thought, no. No, I can't do this again. I was terrified. And I, I, I tell you this, I almost turned to go. Almost turned to go. And I thought, coward. I walked in, and I sat down, and we had a nice conversation. Now, that fellow's not coming to church here today. He rarely came around after that. We didn't reach him. But I know how much the fear of that moment of awkwardness and weirdness can keep us from stepping into the next moment. But I tell you, folks, God wants us to step into that next moment. He wants us to put down the gavel that says, I know who that person is and they're not changing. Take up the staff and say, I know Jesus. That makes me a shepherd. The person's lost. God wants to find them. I may be part of that journey. First thing is that we have to put down the gavel and take up our shepherd staff. The second mindset that we have to have is this. We have to have the mindset that the people that we're talking to about the Lord belong to Jesus already. They're gods. They've been stolen. That's why the Bible talks about the word redeem, buy back. That's what Jesus did in the cross. He bought back humanity from the enemy who stole them. But if we had the mindset as we looked at people that said they belong to Jesus already, I'm just part of the journey that's going to get them to where they need to be, boy, would our mindset change. It would keep us from this judgmental and fatalistic mindset if we looked at the people that we knew to be lost and said they belong to Jesus. They were created by him. They were created for him. And they are supposed to be living in him. First John, or John chapter 1 says, there is nothing that has been created that was not created by him. 
that person who you're scared to share with, that person who you don't want to invite back to church another time, that person who you don't want to ask any questions, that person who you've already condemned and said there's no hope for them, was created by, with an intention by, Jesus. Belong to him already. Folks, those folks that we would write off, make fun of, judge their appearance, sneer at their sin, God's child. Child, when did our hearts get so hard? When did our minds get so calcified? We would look at somebody and say, there is no hope. You're here today because someone in your life looked at you and said, Wherever you were at, you already belong to Jesus. You already are God's. And we treat you as such, as someone who lives in his light. Third thing today is that Jesus consistently went to the place where people were lost. He consistently went to the place where people were lost. You say, so Pastor Matt, if I'm to go to the place that people are lost, what do you mean by that? You want me to hit the club tonight? Is that the plan? You want me to hit the club? No, I don't want you to hit the club. I mean the place that, 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 that has estranged them from God. The place that has left a gap between them and God that needs to be filled so that they can find their way home. Jesus went to that place. We know that just from the makeup of who his disciples were. His disciples were from all different types of walks of life. Fishermen, on the one hand, zealots, on the other hand, tax collectors, on the other hand. That was a motley crew that he had going with him. That's who Jesus had in his very inner circle. He went to the place of their lostness. He found what their hang-up was, and he helped them get over it. Why are people lost? Why are people lost? As we talked about three weeks ago, some people are lost because they just love darkness. They're, they're, they're in the middle of a pattern of sinful behavior that's become normal to them. And whether it's comforting or whether it's destructive, they're going to hold on to it with all of their being. Good thing you've never been there. That was sarcasm. Why are other people lost? Because they're angry at God. God did not answer the prayer that they prayed in the moment that they prayed it the way that they needed him to. And somebody got ill, somebody passed away, somebody was taken from them, some relationship blew up in a nasty way, and if God loved them, that wouldn't have happened. They're angry at God. Good thing you've never been there. There's other people that are lonely, they're afraid. The harsh realities of life have pounded on them and pounded on them and pounded on them. They've seen harshness and sadness and, and, and pain. So all they want to do is to try to insulate themselves from change as best they can. So they might not be deep and dark into sin, but they just don't want anybody to say anything about their life. They would just rather act as if everything's fine. Thank you very much. Because the insulation that they can get from their home or their money or their, 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 their lack of change 
brings them peace. Good thing none of you have ever been there. People are lost for all types of different reasons. Many of that will come out when you begin to talk to folks and they'll tell you they are lost because of Christians. Christians made me lost. Christians are the reason that I don't have anything to do with God's. Christians stink. Well, put on some deodorant, baby, and get back into the game and show them the love of Christ over and over and over again. Because heaven's priority is the lost sheep. And Jesus met people where they were at. And and if you want an evangelistic sort of pattern, let me give it to you. It's right here in this story. Jesus asked a lot of questions, number one. Asked a lot of questions. The question here was rhetorical. What if you had sheep, right? Jesus asked questions of people. Jesus told stories, and then Jesus told the truth. He wanted to know where people were at. That guy that you have coffee with once a week that just seems so cranky and curmudgeon and like he, there's no hope in his life. Why don't you invite him to church sometime? Hey, we got, we got this great thing going on at the church. would love for you to come up. I ain't going to no church. Why? Because Christians stink. Why do Christians stink? Just keep asking questions. If you keep asking questions, you might find out exactly where they're lost. We Christians, we like to preach, but we don't like to ask questions. It's amazing to me because Jesus loved to ask questions to find out exactly where people were at. See where people were at. Christians, we need to do a better job of asking questions. We need to prioritize sheep by asking them questions rather than feeling like we always need to be in the driver's seat of propositions and sharing truths. Jesus also told stories. He disarmed with stories. You need to share what Christ has done in your life and be willing to just tell people, you know what, I know you might feel that way about Christians and you might feel that way about church, but I gotta tell you, I'm not claiming I have the perfect church, but I found love at my church. I found care at my church. I'll tell you what, even more than that, I know that that's because they love Jesus there. Changed my life. Are we willing to walk down the road where we become vulnerable enough to stop preaching and start sharing? Start sharing. Was Jesus a preacher? Yes. But one-on-one, Jesus hit people right where they were at. He He found out exactly where they were lost. So I get to preach to you today. But in the biblical scheme of things, you get to share with people tomorrow. Fourth and final thing today. The greatest priority of the city on a hill is bringing lost people home. Said it. Heaven rejoices more over one lost sinner who repents than over the 99 up here, very pleased with their piety. Piety. Is this mic going in and out? Okay, I'm going to switch. That's the greatest priority of heaven. That's what Jesus says. He says it multiple times. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. It's the reason he left heaven, and it is the reason we must venture from the hill. We cannot call ourselves the light of the world. We cannot call ourselves the city on a hill 
unless we prioritize the lost the way Jesus prioritized the lost. That was part of his light, is that people who were lost, they weren't looking to become Bible believers. Are we Bible believing here? Yes. But the Pharisees had the Bible. And people were looking at that and going, I I want real. I want personal. That's why Jesus came. The same one who gave us the Old Testament gave us Jesus. He came down to our level because we couldn't get up to his. He showed us what it meant to have life and hope and peace that was reflected in his word. Folks, if we are to be the city on the hill, the light of the world, we must each put down our gavel, take up our shepherd's staff, and venture from the hill now and again. We must see of tremendous value those who are lost in our lives because that's who our Savior is. If the greatest expression of our Christianity is our attendance on a Sunday morning worship service, we're missing it. Because the greatest expression of Christianity is when the lost ones are found. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father God, it's easy for us to look and to see things in our lives as barriers and blockades and problems and reasons for staying safe here on the hilltop. But Lord, every now and again, we need to be reminded of your heart And we need to be reminded of how you see the folks who are not here with us today. You see them as having value, priceless value. Lord, we want your heart. We want to see with heaven's eyes. And Lord, I believe because so many of us have been shown so much mercy and so much grace that we would love to see your mercy and grace poured out in the lives of others. But perhaps today we just needed to be reminded that that's your agenda and that's what you're about and you want us to join you in your work. Today as we pray, I would just like you to engage with me in one of three things. If this message is touching your heart today and you say, oh, Pastor Matt, everything that you've said is so right on. I need to get back to a place 
or I'm going after the sheep again. I just invite you to not think that a change of mind today is going to be sufficient for that. Not to buy in to the ploy that you just need to try a little bit harder and then your priority will be the lost sheep once more. You all know that not to be the case. The truth today is this. To fulfill everything that God has for you to do in this life, you must be submitted to the work of his Holy Spirit. And you must ask that same spirit to come in and fill you, strengthen you, embolden you, and give you the ability to do the things that your mind and your heart resolve to do, but only his spirit can do through you. Are you catching what I'm throwing today? If you are today, I'd like you to come and pray with me right here. I'm going to step right down onto the floor. And if you say, Pastor Matt, I just want to pray today that the Spirit of God would fill me up, would begin to use me. I want to put down my gavel, and I want to take up my shepherd's staff, and I'd love to pray with you this morning. Would you come right now? We're just going to pray as a community together. Would you come right now? We'll just pray together here, right in this place. There is a power and there is a strength in moving and making your body do what your spirit longs to do. I just invite you to meet me right here. You can kneel on the altar, you can stand, but we're going to pray. Our elders are going to be moving among you today and laying hands on your shoulders and praying for you and asking that the Holy Spirit of God would fill you up, would give you strength, would give you the words, would give you the people, would give you the moments. God wants to step right into you today, and he wants to use you. So if you feel a hand on your shoulder, it's just one of our elders. They're going to be praying for you. Pastor Matt, I, I just want to let the Spirit of God fill me. I just, I just know I can't do it on my own. I'm not some super evangelist, but I want to see lost people as valuable, and I want to win lost souls to Jesus. Lord, give me the strength. You just come right now. Just come right now. Just come right now. Come right now. Just, just pray to him. Pour out your heart to him. He wants to meet you here. Thank you, Lord.
Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd be poured out today upon this congregation. Holy Spirit, I pray that your power and your strength and your love for the lost sheep of this world would be poured into our hearts, into our spirits. And I pray, Lord, that we would see with eyes as Jesus saw, that we would speak with words as Jesus spoke, and that, Lord, we would see the lost come home as Jesus has brought billions home. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would use us in a mighty and powerful way to align our lives with the priorities of heaven so that the grace and the mercy of God would be poured out in the lives of people that we have the opportunity to touch. Lord, we thank you that you are sufficient for this work. And we thank you that you have made us vessels in your work. I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would be continually outpouring and that, Lord, your light and your life would make its way into the lives of those that we care about. Would you stand and join us? We're just going to sing.